Malcolm Holmline is uh, going to join us in a minute. I remind you that he will be uh, heading for Pesach to beautiful Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. Uh, Pesachinvallarta.com gives you all the information. It's a really nice website, Pesachinvallarta.com. Or dial this number, 786-290-5919. Again, 786-290-5919. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays uh, 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning to you. Good Arif Shabbos. Help me remember a couple of really special people. First of all, I'm assuming, uh, and, and this may have happened actually more than once, that you uh, at some point met Rafi Eitan and, um, uh, and uh, certainly... Uh, you, uh, among so many of us, understood his role as a real, true, modern Jewish hero. Oh, absolutely. I met him many times. He was a minister. Uh, the last time uh, in the government, he was minister, I think, for senior citizen affairs. Uh, had started his own small party um, directed at the, the older segment in Israel, but he was highly respected across the board. And he is... Um, his role in many things, including the Eichmann uh, case, uh, were really legendary. No question about it, and uh, certainly a true modern hero of the state of Israel. Also, I'm sure you saw that uh, Michelle Bakos passed away this week. For those of us who, uh, certainly my generation, we were little kids when the Entebbe when the Entebbe rescue took place and he was the Air France pilot who refused to leave when offered by the terrorists for him and his crew to go back home to France. First of all, I, I did not realize that he was born in Egypt and, and ended, right. up, ended up living in France, becoming a pilot, etc. But the again, there's a an element of heroism to the fact that uh, he was basically guaranteed that his life would be spared and he and the entire crew said we're not leaving unless everybody leaves and uh, he passed away this week as well so I, I guess you don't have to be Jewish to somehow be a hero to the Jewish people huh well so very often the our heroes come from outside and uh, we read in McGill and read others places where people played a, a critical role at a, a very special moment and, and he what he did and I was just in Entebbe, as you know, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, made it all the more meaningful when you see it and you go to visit it. It, it's, it brings back such memories and how fresh that memory is for anybody who was mature enough to remember the impact and the report when when the whole Entebbe incident took place. Uh, and it's a place where Yoni Netanyahu was killed um, but the, the brilliance of maneuver and the um, uh, nature of we, we forget what when airplanes were hijacked on a regular basis. Right. <laughs> Kids reading these articles now can't even believe there was access to the cockpit, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And we pay a price every time you go into an airport and you have to go through all of those lines. That's, That's right. the price we're paying for, for it, too. That's right. Just let's not blame our people for that, but you're right about that. Uh, he wrote, he wrote, I lifted my head. I saw a soldier dressed like a member of the Ugandan army with a white hat 
And he said in Hebrew, listen, guys, we've come to take you home. Bacchus, who had often flown the Israel route and understood the language, told this reporter uh, in this article I'm reading from, I didn't believe what I was seeing. Even now I can't describe it, seeing the soldier as if an angel had come down from the sky. And then a very cool moment, by the way, which I never knew about. <laughs> Returning to Israel in the military transport plane, the commandos fetched Bacchus from the cabin and said, your place is not here. A soldier told him, but in the cockpit. That was pretty cool. They recognized his leadership. A very, a very touching moment, to say the least. Quite a moment this week with the signing of the recognition of Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Many of us, of course, saw it as it was happening um, in Washington uh, by President Trump. I mean, it, no matter what people think politically, how he handles himself as president, it, it is amazing to sit in these moments of modern Jewish history, Malcolm, and and realize the impact of, of some of the moves that he has made. And this week's, of course, fits right into that category, right? It fits in very much into the who would have believed category. Right. And when he, and I, I discussed on the air, uh, when he announced that uh, the State Department changed the description to Israeli-controlled territory, referring to the Golan, from Israeli-occupied territory, I extolled it and thought it was very significant. I would not have anticipated that he would make the next step. He would take the next step of, of actually recognizing in, in the presence of the president, of the prime minister, uh, issuing this, this declaration. And I think it's important because there's so much misinformation about it and disinformation about what what took place in both moves regarding the embassy and the Golan Heights the president didn't change anything on the ground it was a recognition of reality that Israel has been in control now for decades of the of the Golan and it came into it in a defensive war that people are comparing it and said this is uh, like recognizing Russian control of Crimea when it was, it's not at all comparable. Russia went into this area, uh, an aggressive act in, in Israel's case, and went in in the defensive mode because it was being shelled. And those of us who are certain age remember when people in the north uh, couldn't uh, farm their lands many times because uh, they came under fire and they had these reinforced uh, tractors with uh, covers on it, P- people don't know the or remember the the true history. So the United Nations Security Council, of course, convened this week, and they, you know, of course, they they you know jumped to to condemnation uh, of Israel. But the fact is that the reaction is much more muted than I think most people would have expected from this kind of a, a major step, and in, in even in much of the Arab world. It's lower-level people who are issuing the condemnations. They will do it. The Europeans, of course, uh, go berserk over it. Uh, but they don't matter right now in in, in this situation. So the uh, it also puts the message clearly to, to the PA, which has been, as you know, reje- in a rejectionist mode, that standing still, time is not on your side, and that you're not going to gain, but in fact, facts will be created. This is a fact that was created, and I don't think anybody could have imagined, and I'm going into this because I want people to have the arguments and understand the the issues that 
uh, are being so misrepresented in the media about the status of the Golan. First of all, the Jewish historical connection to it. This was not uh, Syrian land. Always the, the, the archaeological excavations there uncover constantly uh, Jewish life from Talmudic times and before. The the um, so the status of it was uh, is different than than the way described, and the uh, thought that Israel could in any time relinquish the the land or control over it, even over parts of it, when you have the Iranians, the Hezbollah, the, the Syrian army, the militias, all the time on the border. The revelation a couple of weeks ago that the you know that Hezbollah had in fact built a cell there, the uh, tunnels that were built and, and uncovered by Israel, the multiple tunnels, the uh, rockets fired over it, and the attempts to to penetrate on land. So by air, by land, by uh, underground, they are trying to threaten this area and constantly have it under uh, under siege and trying to. Uh, position themselves, the Iranians and their allies, to be uh, in striking distance of Israel, of the populations on the Golan. So this is really a significant uh, measure, and I think that the fact that across the board in the Jewish community, with a few exceptions, uh, the move was welcomed, and, the, um, and certainly in Congress it seems that the uh, reaction was uh, positive. I love your point about the, you know the, the the inertia that the PA you know <laughs> seems to be promoting on a constant basis, and it basically just leads to you know it leads to going backwards. It doesn't make progress at all uh, in in whatever their goal is, whether it is in fact you know a state or or some type of agreement with Israel, etc. I think it's a very really important for us to to point out because it it seems every week now. Um, you know, we are discussing how essentially uh, history is passing them by. That you know, those who think they're going to negotiate a deal, you know, everyone else is just you know moving forward, forging better relationships with Israel. And now, now the role of this president of the United States becomes even more obvious, and that is that he's just helping to move the process along so much faster. So as all this time goes by, you know, those who think there's going to be a deal eventually, they're they're losing the opportunity. And, and the conditions and realities are being reinforced, and this is uh, uh, an, an important message to them, and that they look at the Arab world and they see that the president has moves. Uh, you know, you can have these performa protests or, or reactions, but the reality is but the reality is, in fact, changing and being and being established. Can it be reversed? Everything can be reversed, I guess, in time. Right. But a move like this, this kind of a recognition, be very hard for an administration in the future to to uh, to undo. And uh, it's not again not impossible and not something right. you know that that is locked in stone. But that's why the reaction, I think, the positive reaction across the board, and certainly in Israel, across the political spectrum, nobody is coming out and arguing against this move. By the way, and you raise another, again, you know, a big-picture point that I, I feel is so important to to point out, and that is that, um, you know, we are, and, and the younger generation certainly, who don't always remember, you know, the tough times, so to speak, we're getting used to, you know, really 
um, uh, uh, you know, really good treatment, let's put it that way, by some very important world leaders. Um, treatment that is that is promoting and leading to, you know, leaders of Arab states making very positive decisions vis-a-vis Israel. And we can't take that for granted because, you know, history has a has a habit of swinging, you know, from one side to the next. And we have to reinforce this and, and discuss it with our public officials and understand that we can't take this for granted. First of all, we have to convince ourselves and, be, and, and understand it. Then we can convince others. And, and when, when a top official in an Arab country comes out and says it's time for us to stop shunning Israel right. and to accept this reality during the time when this is going on, that you have declarations by the president of Honduras and the prime minister of Romania that they want to establish presences in in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and other countries uh, now indicate uh, that they are contemplating a similar move. Uh, those things are, 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 you know, in the category of who would have believed it. Everybody who's tuned in has listened, uh, excuse me, Everybody tuned in now has lived through the most amazing miracles in modern Jewish history. We have to remember that those miracles continue to happen and to accelerate, and we can't take it for granted. And We have to remind our children and grandchildren what times were like, what it was when Israel and before the state, when the Jewish people felt completely isolated and really the target of everybody from the most peaceful countries to the enemies that surrounded them and wanted to kill them. And now it is now, at least facts on the ground, it is very, very different. But we cannot forget that we cannot take it for granted. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. All right, i got to ask the question, and, you know, as, as cynical as it may sound, uh, <laughs> It is unbelievable timing with the prime minister standing there and with the election two weeks away. It's unbelievable timing that that this type of declaration that you just described as being welcome across the board, especially in Israel, takes place. Do we uh, do we call this a March 2019 gift to the prime minister from the president of the U.S.? Uh, Look, I don't think it makes a huge difference in uh, in the numbers. It, It reinforces and I think the visit overall already did in the pictures that the president with the uh, prime minister reinforces the closeness of the relationship, uh, which people hear. There are elements here exploit and try to use as a negative. But in Israel, the strength of the U.S.-Israel relationship is extremely important. It's recognized. It's, it's appreciated. And the uh, for the opposition, of course, it's, I'm sure it's a source of frustration. The... Um, um, I, I don't see this as uh, an election gift in in the sense that it's going to make a, a huge difference. The numbers in Israel indicate that Netanyahu has gained uh, strength, but I think that would have happened. And he, uh, the the right, the coalition of the right, um, even more so, uh, is is in the lead. And the tendency and, and the trend has been like this for for a while. It certainly helps. It helps him to to do this because this is a very strong issue for people, uh, especially anybody who was who was alive, as, as you say. And one of the reasons why it's important to talk to your kids, to tell them the truth, that this is not a violation of international law, and why this is uh, su- such of such fundamental significance for Israel's long-term security and what happened in this area uh, before, 
but the um, you know the prime minister had to cut his visit short. He didn't have the dinner that he was going to have on Tuesday night, and some of the meetings, including the last one on the Tuesday, having gone back Monday afternoon. So he made a, a, a short trip for uh, but for important purpose. And there were many other issues that were discussed. I had the opportunity to have some high-level meetings while we were in Washington this week. And uh, the level of cooperation is, is really remarkable. And, and the support in Congress on both sides, and you heard it from Nancy Pelosi's very strong statement and others, as Schumer spoke, and uh, many from the administration spoke. So those, while the media continues to focus on a few individuals who express extremist and hostile views, uh, the fact is that the the overwhelming majority of Congress stands in support of Israel and votes on resolutions uh, supporting Israel, including the aid package. And I think uh, we, we should be focusing on that and reinforcing that. And the, and the really amazing people who are standing by Israel, I met just for one second, I met a woman after having read uh, an op-ed piece that appeared in Orlando, Florida, and someone sent it to me by a, a woman named Stephanie Murphy. And when I started reading it, I couldn't believe it because it turns out she is Vietnamese, um, 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 rescued off a boat as a tiny child, uh, an infant, and uh, expressing her appreciation for the fact that an American boat picked them up and saying that, and drawing the analogy to the Jews and to Israel and, and giving the most reinforcing positive statement and she does not have a big Jewish constituency. She represents part of Orlando, uh, but not a Jewish part per, per se. And it was just remarkable. And, and a young woman, uh, such an attractive personality, and yet it got almost no notice. Yet, yet these the evil and wicked statements get uh, uh, such disproportionate coverage. So I called her and, and went to see her. On, on during the week while I was in Washington, just to thank her and to tell her. And, and it's such a remarkable person, so strong. And then you think about the distortion of the media coverage. Yeah. And that's why I never mentioned, don't want to mention the others' names anymore. And we should be focusing on the many good people who got up on the floor of the House, Democrats, who took them on and made very strong statements, but unfortunately got very little credit or coverage for it. All right. Well, I have to agree with you on that. You mentioned level of cooperation just a moment ago. Um, and you've, and by the way, I think you, you used the, uh, I, I think you used the term remarkable, you know, even during the past administration, is it even more remarkable now, the level of cooperation between the U S and Israel? Oh, absolutely. You know, again, the joint exercises, the, um, you know, the, the uh, presence there of the, of the a more advanced missile system, the upgraded David Sling, that uh, joint development between the United States and Israel, the placement of the batteries, and the um, uh, the level of uh, visitation by um, a number of visits by people like the Secretary of State, who was in Israel just a week before Netanyahu's, a couple of days before Netanyahu's visit, and the uh, really amazing relationship and, and reinforced of the relationship uh, on many levels amongst many members uh, of Congress, uh, of, the, of the administration, different uh, secretaries. Um, I met one in, in a security-related area, and they were talking about all the visits, all the 
joint cooperation that goes on, and it's it's mutually beneficial. It's not a story again that the media, that much of the media will tell, but the reality is is really strong. Uh, I know people want to hear about the rocket attacks and uh, the election and uh, Aleppo, etc. And we'll get to everything, I hope. But just give me a second to to toss in two more quick positive stories. New evidence of a 2,000-year-old Jewish ties to the Greater Jerusalem region was recently uncovered during a salvaged excavation near the Biblical Zoo, near the Gilo neighborhood. It's a relatively underdeveloped mixed Muslim and Christian Arab neighborhood in Jerusalem. Archaeologists have unearthed a large Hasmonean-era agricultural village. They are estimating, Malcolm, that it's from the year, approximately the year 100 BCE. It's a good piece of news, no? It's one, uh, yes, it's an amazing piece of news. And I think if people were, were, again, I don't know how people don't get excited by the amazing uh, discoveries, the press, the mikvahs, the, um, uh, the dove coat that was found there, uh, and the uh, excavations in Sharafat, which, and often these are accidental when on the road, there's an exhibition in Israel now on the road 38 that um, by accident, in, as they were expanding, you know, adding lanes to it, they uncovered historical periods of amazing things. And now there's an exhibition of uh, of it at the uh, Bible Lands Museum. Huh. But there, there, it's just... Every day, something exciting, and I get it from the uh, the Israel Antiquities Authority. You know, sends me these notices, and it, it's just sometimes so um, incredible. At this, the site you're talking about is incredible um, burial estate they call it, and with a large uh, courtyard chiseled into the bedrock, and the uh, the all the features that. Um, uh, from which we learned so much about our past and about uh, the Menhagim and, and how life was lived in, in 2,000 years ago. But again, everything just uh, underscoring the Jewish presence unbelievable. And, and our history there. The other, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing I wanted to mention, I'm sure you saw what happened in Holland when somebody tried to uh, boycott Israeli yeah. wine. And it backfired. I mean, it was unbelievable. Look at the reaction. I'm sure it was not just Jewish reaction. I'm sure a lot of good people... <laughs> went out to to make sure that that boycott didn't work. That's right and it's it, and I think it's from also the there is a backlash developing uh, amongst in 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 many circles. I spoke last night to to Hispanic uh, clergy and the enthusiasm and the reaction and what I saw at APAC that people uh, are getting it and and reacting to it that they may have unleashed a lot of energy that was pent up, but people now understand what's at stake and what's important for us is not to take it for granted, is not to take all the good things that happen for granted. And and, and it's not to be politicized. It's, it's something that we should be enhancing and working with both sides of the aisle, working with the administration to, to, to um, recognize all of the good and to make sure that it continues and to make the case to the the American people. They're there. The latest against polls shows 69% favorable view of Israel. And, uh, you know, the disparity is is exactly in keeping with the 10-year range. So all of those who said how much worse things are uh, when asked in a a study 
uh, is your view better or worse of the attitude towards Israel over the last five to ten years amongst Jews? The answer was that 81% said the same or better. 19% said worse. And this was a J Street poll. So nobody wow. can say there was a setup. You know, we, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be brought down by the, by the negative as much as we have to know it and react to it and understand it. Because if you don't know it, you, can't, you cannot deal with it. Uh, did Iran, in fact, order last weekend's rocket attack on Israel? Whether they gave a specific order or were behind it, two different questions. I don't know the first, but the second, certainly. And what do we know about it? Because all we hear now, it seems, over the last few weeks when there is a rocket attack is that it was a mistake or an accident. At some point, is that excuse going to be uh, unwelcome by Israeli authorities? Not only unwelcome, I mean, it's just not believable. It is believable once that the right. lightning struck or some guy, you know, lit the fuse, or they're saying that it's some uh, um, group that is not affiliated with uh, Hamas, so they're trying to distance themselves for it. For a while, Hamas and Pitch were exchanging uh, accusations, saying the other one was responsible for, for the launching. The fact is that the rockets are there. The fact is that they that were fired, and Israel had to respond. Uh, I think that there is a lot of pressure for Israel to to take a more decisive action of some kind. You know, they they hit so many thousands of targets. It's hard to believe what they are, but life uh, for many of the people along the border it's intolerable you don't know I mean, in in, in uh, general people don't know that at night they broadcast loud noise and play loud music but with the super speakers so that people kids can't sleep and the constant fear again of having to run to to a shelter in 15 seconds and the uh, barrage of 60 rockets uh, in one night in one 24 hour period you know these are these are intolerable. The the rock the balloons carrying IEDs, the uh, attempts to cross the border and and threatening uh, the Israeli soldiers who are on patrol there. And as wonderful as the new fences and the, the security measures that are being taken, this is an intolerable situation that no country in the world would allow to 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 continue for such an extended period. Israel's options are limited indeed, but. The pressure, the political pressure that's building up on Netanyahu right now is very strong, and his going back was an indication uh, of that as well. All right. Uh, they did destroy the leader of Hamas's office, right? That was one of the targets during the retaliation. The building, yeah. Right, the building. The whole building. And, um, and, and the big question is, I mean, <laughs> we keep hearing about, uh, at least we keep reading, about more IDF soldiers being sent to the Gaza border. Uh, the possibility of you know of, of a repeat of what happened in 2014 in terms of a full-scale operation that many call a war uh, is the fact that April 9th is looming, you know, and the election is less than two weeks away. Is that is that likely to prevent any type of activity like that? I don't think it prevents. If anything, it, most people would argue that an action would be beneficial politically for Netanyahu. of weapons 
And that's why the bombings are so important, because they're hitting underground facilities, usually, and where you have, you know, small depots of, of weapons or larger ones. So, you know, it's easy for us to be armchair generals and to say, you know, why doesn't Israel just go in and mop it up? It would not be so easy. And when you have areas of dense population, and we know that there are underground facilities, and probably traps set uh, all along the area for uh, Israeli soldiers. You remember when they were discovered and a couple guys were killed in a, in a shootout? So it's not, it's not as simple as sometimes it's portrayed, and the options are, are more limited. But Israel is taking actions, and part of it is also the rivalry between the PA and Hamas. It's unrelated to Israel, and they are, you know, trying— some say that PA is trying to force a showdown. They want to enforce a war. Egypt has been trying to play a very constructive role of negotiating ceasefires. But, you know, there comes a limit to that, too. Uh, has Israel, in fact, acknowledged that they're responsible for the uh, uh, the uh, demolition of the ammunition depot in Aleppo? They have not acknowledged uh, that they are responsible for it in the Aleppo area. But it clearly was a very important uh, place in that uh, it shows the Iranians' presence and infrastructure expands to more and more areas. We know that that is certainly true. We know that there was this um, surface-to-air missile uh, facility. Israel announced it, I think, in the hope that the Iranians would shut it down or somebody else would. But they cannot tolerate the infrastructure being built, which will be used against Israel, maybe even in the short run, let alone in the longer run. So this is, if Israel did it, it is for a good reason, but perhaps it's a work accident, perhaps <laughs> something else. There, there are eras in Jewish history, I mean over the last 70 years, there, there are eras where if this type of thing would have happened, then Israel would be suspected quite obviously. There would be some serious retaliation. It, it, it would, I, I, and I hope I'm not – well, the truth is I hope I'm wrong in terms of predicting it, but I hope I'm not wrong in terms of being accurate in terms of the history. A- am I right that there was a time when the enemy would react in, in – not not only react – here, of course, they didn't – not only react, but react in a very aggressive manner if Israel would pull something off like this? Uh, certainly not in the distant past, but the, you, you have to think of what their capabilities are, and they, they do not want to give Israel the excuse right. to launch an all-out attack and, and eliminate the threat that faces Israel from 150,000 missiles. That's why I say, please God, people do not realize the position that Israel's in. They don't realize, again, thank God, Bali Ayn Hara, the advantage that Israel has right now in that region. It's, it's And the importance of the Golan situation, yeah. once again. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Uh, all right, got to do a drop more on the election. Uh, so Eli Shai leaves. Uh, do, do you think this is going to lead to more of these smaller parties that are getting the message that they're going to be relatively irrelevant uh, in terms of trying to reach the threshold to, to, to get out and, you know, and make this more about the major parties? Uh, I do think so, and I know that there are others that are in discussion and they try to work out deals. Uh, he came out in favor of an Ashkenazi group. He didn't endorse uh, Derry or anybody else. Yeah. Um, but the, if people should have to know that there is a 3.25% threshold, that if you don't get 3.75% of the vote, your your votes are lost. You know, they just they they uh, go into cyberspace. So the the um, pressure has been on for people to to say don't don't stay in the race if you can't make the cutoff. At least for the Netanyahu's argument is that the right 
coalition needs all of those votes, and that's why he did with Otsma what he did, pushing him into the right. by Yehudi. Yeah, people don't and, realize that that was just a political strategy. It was a strategy, and we're paying a heavy price still for it. It's uh-huh. being used uh, yeah. as a propaganda tool uh, here and by elsewhere. Ju- by, Jew and non- yeah. by Jew and non-Jew alike. Right. And the um, and, and you see that Fagelin, um is, is up to seven seats in the latest poll. Right. And somebody who also has extreme uh, right-wing views, as, as it is described, right. but cleverly ran on a... a, a decriminalizing marijuana campaign so he's he's getting the votes from the left yeah the libertarians are coming through and it's really you know it's always a challenge to try to predict what what will happen in israel and and the curves and and things that that are thrown um and 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 the and the diminution of the blue and white party i think was was predictable that the initial thrust of it and the i think that the Netanyahu side handled the um, hints of indictment and the reports of the corruption well by blunting it and facing it and focusing on it before. And I think the the um, exoneration of, of President Trump may also translate there that people will say, oh, you see, this is that the media hypes these things and, and In- it isn't true. Interesting. I didn't even think of that. It could have a, it could have a Netanyahu effect that the, the uh, exoneration of Trump. Interesting. And uh, although the situations are not parallel, right. there are still new investigations and things that come up. Right. But I think that you know, after a while, people uh, become so it becomes so routinized that it, it loses it blunts the the impact. I think there are people who vote because of it, and there are people there who say you know it's enough, and he, he's served great, but it's enough time. Right. But when I think they go into the booth. They, that by and large, the people will say, "We, we, who's, what's the alternative?" Right, and a lot of the major candidates, and you don't have to comment on this, but I'll say it anyway. A lot of the major candidates are unimpressive, frankly. A lot of them, you see how inexperienced they are, and uh, and I think that that's going to be a factor. Unless I really don't know how the Israeli people are feeling about Netanyahu. You know, if it's one of those things, throw them out already. Then you know, then then obviously they'll accept any substitute. But uh, but uh, I don't know. He's so seasoned and experienced, as you just described, the way he's handled all these different situations. I, I don't and, and doing it virtually alone. And yeah. Gantz gave a very impressive speech at the APEC conference, and certainly having three former chiefs of staff. But not uh, when he's when, at a time when security is is uh, in the forefront. But not when he's off the cuff. Uh, no, and he gets got into trouble with things that he said. Everybody yeah. in Israel gets into trouble for <laughs> things they say. And we all should shut up and just run, you know, mute campaigns. They do better probably. Uh, but, and you know, and then there are these scandal accusations, uh, which are commonplace in Israel. They, they already said he's not in, under investigation, but it taints them. And people saying, okay, if we already have it, then what's the difference between Netanyahu? He, he has the problems. They have problems. Everybody has problems. So it could it could translate in the in the ultimate decision people make in the voting booth. Right. But as you know, as I always say, the Israelis are the only people who tell the truth to the pollsters and then lie at the polls. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Finally, Malcolm. Uh, I mean, you're, look, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of what went on in Brooklyn yesterday and this whole issue of uh, are there Palestinians? Is there Palestine? Etc. Et is this is this battle basically lost? Th- those of us who have for years tried to remind people. 
that there is no such thing as Palestine, no such thing as Palestinian people. At this point, is it lost to the point where one really can't make that statement publicly anymore? That's a good question. It's it's a very uh, delicate uh, uh, question because it has a lot of ramifications whether you lose the argument when you assert that right. and lose a good part of your constituency. Uh, again, there there has to be an educational process of, of telling people what is the true history, that there was never a Palestinian state, et cetera, but also the recognition. If you try to say that they don't exist and that, and that there's nothing to be done uh, for them and with them, then you, you lose already a big part of the constituency that we need and where the fight is taking, uh, taking place. But again, people should look at the incredible victory at San Francisco State University, the landmark case that uh, the university was resisting every effort to reconcile and to, to reach an agreement. And then when they saw how strong the case that that um, Winston Strawn Winston Strawn had had worked on with the Lawfare Project for years now, and spent uh, millions of dollars in pro bono money, meaning that they didn't charge for it, but I think the university realized how strong the case was that they gave a settlement on everything, including recognition that Zionism is an integral part of Jewish identity, the putting up money for, for to protect the rights of Jewish students and others, but uh, and hiring a full-time coordinator to look into the whole thing. It, just every point, people should read the settlement. It's, it's beyond belief. And it will be a message to every university president yep. that Jewish students' rights can't be dangering and can't be denied, and we will fight this battle now on more and more campuses so this this is going to be an ongoing struggle. So we have to play it smart and and make the case a positive case for Israel all the time, and strengthen that the the bonds and the and the relationship with the visits with people who are significant to younger audiences, especially, and teach them the history. What do you think of those thousands of students at APAC that you saw? I think it's it's remarkable when you see the number of young people, when you see the number of non-Jews, when you see the number of people with uh, kippot and, and obviously religious women, when you see the diversity of the support for Israel and uh, 18,000 people and, and equally important, the array of speakers. Right. That are, It's just uh, truly amazing. I think something that our parents, not only my grandparents, would never have imagined possible. Oh, I, I wish the next generation would understand that. And we've said so many points like that in this conversation today. We've got to make sure to drill it into them that their grandparents, great-grandparents would have given anything for the Jewish people. At that time, there's no such thing as the state of Israel. For the Jewish people to have this kind of, of role uh, in the United States or, frankly, in any uh, in any country, whoever would be the world power. By the way, I got I got to share a, a funny story with you because uh, people love behind the scenes stuff. Someone says, someone says to me, you know, you're announcing it every week. You must have an amazing sponsorship deal from Pesach and Vallarta. So I said, <laughs> I said no. I I just love saying that Malcolm's spending Pesach and Puerto Vallarta. That's all. It's it's just me having fun each and every week. <laughs> so I I hope the program is shaping up to be a good one for you. I think it's going to be an amazing uh, program, an amazing place. I regrettably I've heard that there are some programs that are closing down. So. Oh, yeah. Anybody who wants to uh, should be in touch with uh, Monty Cohen and uh, call, I think, and go to the website. 
it's a it's a beautiful place, and I'm privileged to to be there and with my family, and look forward to seeing people there, and appreciate the the uh, mention. But I know it sort of rolls off your tongue. <laughs> you. I, I just, <laughs> which I, is spelled V A L L A R T A. Exactly. I I said you know it's my show. I got to have fun once in a while. Um, anybody out there who wants to spend Pesach with Malcolm? By the way, Malcolm, you know our policy. Our policy is if uh, you spend Pesach with a JMNAM listener, they get to ask you. An unlimited number of questions. You know that rule, right? Unlimited number. <laughs> about every about every aspect. I didn't know anybody ever felt the restriction on that. <laughs> about every aspect of Jewish life. You could spend Pesach in beautiful Puerto Vallarta. Go to PesachInVallarta.com or dial this number, 786-290-5919. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. We'll speak uh, Bezrat Hashem you. next week. Have, Have a, a wonderful job. There he is, Malcolm Holai, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time at JM in the a.m.